You're listening to AccidentalMuslims.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is Nazir Jamal and welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com from the east coast of South Africa in sunny Durban. AccidentalMuslim.com is a platform and a movement where we showcase present and future leaders to help us live with purpose. We hope to add value to your life, so listen up and enjoy. This episode was hosted by Khalil and Zahir on their recent trip to Durban. I'm Fatima Asmal and you're listening to AccidentalMuslims.com. Assalamu alaikum listeners, welcome back to AccidentalMuslims.com and shukran Fatima for inviting us. Afwan, it's an absolute pleasure, alhamdulillah. Yes man, I, I look for any excuse to come back to Durban, alhamdulillah, first time back in 10 years, subhanallah. Uh, so I'm excited and, and I'm excited as well to, to meet Fatima uh, and to learn some something from you this evening and yeah, thanks for accepting our invite. Afwan, I'm not sure why anybody from Cape Town would be excited to come to Durban. The <laughs> food, obviously. <laughs> okay, let's go. Our first question we always ask is, who is, in this case, who is Fatima Asma? Okay, in a jiffy, in a nutshell, Fatima Asma is 42 years old. Her primary identities are that she directs an NGO called the Institute for Learning and Motivation South Africa. Uh, better known as Ilm SA, Ilm being the Arabic word for knowledge, and um, not in any particular order. Her other identity is that she's a single mother to a boy, a little boy. Oh, well, he's not so little anymore. He's going to be 13, inshallah. And um, apart from that, uh, she's also passionate about um, writing. Not that she has much of an opportunity to do at the moment. Uh, so most of her writing is shared through her personal social media platforms. Take us through your, maybe like your school. Like what school did you go to? I went to what was back in the day known as an Indian government school. So um, I live in Reservoir Hills, and uh, we have um, uh, two primary schools in our zone, if you can call it that. So I went to a primary school called Durban Heights, um, which was one hundred percent Indian uh, in inverted commas. And after I finished Durban Heights, um, as was customary in those days, in Reservoir Hills, um, Indian kids went to Reservoir Hills High School. So I went to a government school called Reservoir Hills High. And did you, did you always know you were going to study journalism? I always wanted to study either journalism, law, or I wanted to be involved in social work. From the time I was little, I used to compile uh, booklets. Uh, like little novels or uh, booklets with comic strips in them. If a friend of mine was celebrating a birthday, I would write out um, a novel for her and I would give it to her. So I would say that um, it was uh, the inclination was more towards journalism, but I was also very interested in um, in law and social work as other professions. So you pursued journalism. I pursued journalism, but my dream was to be a sports journalist. I wanted to be a um, a cricket commentator and I wanted to follow the Pakistani cricket team around the world. Did that pan out? <laughs> <laughs> well, I watched a Bollywood movie with a few members of the Pakistani cricket okay, team okay. and my brother. I was not alone <laughs> uh, when I was a teenager and I had a couple of them over here for lunch. Um, I did interview um, a Pakistani cricketer at some stage of my life. But no, it never panned out uh, in the manner that I had intended or had wanted. And that's not because... Um, that The only reason that didn't happen is because I changed my mind later on. <laughs> okay. so, 
So maybe take us through the journey of becoming a journalist, um, especially for those listeners that are <coughs> contemplating journalism. What challenges are there? What excitement is there in the career? Can I talk about the studies first? Yeah, no problem. It is very interesting because um, I mentioned that I was 42. So we're talking about the 1990s mm. when I completed. And um, in those days, uh, you had two options. Either you could go to Rhodes University or you could go to a Technicon because um, the universities here didn't offer journalism or media studies or anything along those lines. I really, really wanted to go to Rhodes University. It had a very reputable uh, journalism course. Uh, but my father said that there was no way that his daughter was going to go to another province. He said, no way. If you want to study journalism, you can do it here. Because I had an A aggregate in matric, there was a subtle pressure from within myself to pursue a degree and not a diploma, which I think young people shouldn't make a mistake of doing. So I didn't go to Technicon initially. I went to uh, what was then known as the University of Natal. Now it's UKZN. And um, I basically signed up for a BA. Um, and I did things like, I, I did courses like economics, politics, uh, Isizulu, um, and linguistics. And in that first year, it was evident to myself that this is not what I wanted to do. I wanted to write, I wanted to broadcast, and this was theoretical, heavy stuff. But alhamdulillah, I did well, and I still remember that I was on a holiday in Lens where my grandparents lived, and my father called me and he said, do you still want to do journalism? Because if you do, I'll go and enroll you at Technicon. And so he went to Technicon, and they were very un unconventional. So they gave him a form that said for students who have been accepted off the street, and they asked him, like, why would anybody coming from university want to come to tech? And he, he basically said, this is what she wants to do. And I went and I've never looked back. It was exactly what I wanted to do. At that time, the journalism course at Technicon was in a very high level. And uh, there were lots of opportunities. Um, we had people working in the media field who would come and lecture to us. So I would say that today, um, if you want to get into journalism, there are many, uh, many educational avenues via which you could do it. In the 1990s, it was very different. You were limited to either Rhodes University or a dipl national diploma in journalism. So that's on the educational side of it. In terms of the career side of it, I'm not really sure what to say because I'm not actively involved in the field anymore. But um, I was sharing a bit of my story with you before the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned how um, initially I was working at the Natal Mercury as a student journalist. And then I went on this whole religious path or what I perceived to be a religious path where I left journalism completely the mainstream world and I started two Islamic magazines uh, one was called Anissa and one was called The Straight Path and I focused on that and then many years later like almost a decade later or even more than a decade later I wanted to go back into the mainstream journalism and from that experience I learned that it's all about perseverance it was about writing for free it was about really humbling yourself and knocking on the doors of editors. It was about pitching stories tirelessly until you get that break. And one day, alhamdulillah, I got that break. And then for a good three to four years, I was a regular contributor to the Mail and Guardian. So um, I would say that for me, when it comes to journalism, the most important thing was being absolutely perseverant in your attitude. Perseverance. Keyword. Talking about words... How would you describe yourself? How would you describe Fatima in three words? Emotional, passionate. Are these supposed to be positives or negatives? 
It's your three words. Your three words. Your I think it's like self-praise also. So I think when we ask this question, I think uh, um, it's not it's not about self-praise per se, but I think maybe it's about uh, virtues perhaps that people can aspire to, listeners can maybe um, connect with. Um, because what you're doing ideally is you're going to be connecting with the audience, the, the listener. So that's the idea behind this question. Yeah. Okay, so I can't say that I see myself as this, but I'd like to consider myself to be generous. Emotional, passionate, and generous. Can you, can you let's move the conversation to how you started Ilum SA? Okay, so I started Ilum SA in 2006. Um, it was a case of Allah planning and me planning and Allah having uh, a better plan as he always does for me. I got married uh, to a, um, a brother who was British and I moved to the UK. Uh, this was in 2003. Before I moved to the UK, um, initially when I got married, I spent three to four months in Egypt uh, studying Arabic and studying Quran. And uh, I was very inspired by what I saw. Uh, the marriage wasn't working out, and I have absolutely no problem uh, mentioning that on a public platform. So I spent a lot of time on my own and with other sisters from other countries and with my Arabic teachers and in the different masajid. And I was really, really inspired by uh, the kind of accessibility that there was to Islamic knowledge amongst ordinary people. In Durban, I'm not sure what it's like in Cape Town, but in Durban, uh, knowledge is seen to be um, the stronghold of a select few. And I found that in Egypt, it wasn't like that. Um, different people were studying Arabic, different people were teaching Arabic. You could study Arabic part-time. You didn't have to dedicate seven years of your life towards studying Arabic and, and, and Islam only. You could do both. You could be a professional, you could study Arabic, you could study Tajweed. And when I went to the UK, um, I noticed that this was um, that this was even more so the case there from my perspective. So there were always halakat where people were getting together and trying to understand the Quran and trying to understand different aspects of being a Muslim in the UK. Um, there were huge circles for professionals. Um, there were seminars. Uh, the masjids were always active with uh, with this course or that course or this scholar or that scholar, and I was very very inspired by that. So um, when I came back to South Africa, uh, the marriage didn't work out, and I returned to South Africa with my son as an infant. He was eight months old. Um, initially, I tried to use the medium of radio. Um, as a platform to open people to these um, this idea of knowledge. So I would interview some of the foreign scholars like Yasser Qadi and um, there were a range of them. I even interviewed Sheikh Abu Bakr Shatri once on, on Radio Al-Ansar. They gave me a few shows and I would in interview all these personalities. And then people still were not very receptive to this idea. So there were a couple of um, uh, hiccups. And so I decided that instead of being affiliated to um, another organization where I was not going to be given an avenue to freely express myself and freely introduce people to the kinds of people and, and topics that I wanted to introduce them to, why don't I do something of my own? And uh, this is how Ilm Essay was born. The intention was to offer uh, seminars, conferences, workshops about different aspects of Islam, but in the English language. And that was the initial aim of the organization. But um, as time went on, 
it wasn't feasible from a cost point of view. Even though we hosted Yasser Gadi, Tariq Ramadan, Abu Issa Nikmatullah, and a range of scholars, um, eventually that side of the organization um, fizzled out because uh, of the South African economy and the cost attaching, I mean, sorry, and the cost attached to hosting these kinds <clears throat> of events. And and my, my passion had always been that, um, that uh, to, to project the idea to people that ilm, uh, knowledge is the twin of amal, the twin of action. I really, really want people to understand that, that there's no point in learning the tafsir of Surah Hujrat, for example, where you learn uh, that racism is wrong, where you learn that suspicion is wrong and that backbiting is wrong and that we are a brotherhood and we are supposed to be uh, merciful to one another. There's no point in learning all of that if we're not implementing it. So I always wanted it to be an organization that offered the knowledge but also offered avenues via, uh, via which you could implement what you were learning. And so we then developed a socioeconomic uh, humanitarian wing. And uh, alhamdulillah, as Allah planned it, this side of Ilm is now more active than the actual workshop, uh, seminar, conference side of it. We still do have Muslimah Today, for example, uh, an annual conference for women. We have um, a program for uh, kids every year called Islam is Fun. From time to time, we host individual speakers. But the, the, the side of the organization where most of the focus is on at the moment is the socioeconomic side of it. So we have bursaries and um, we support uh, various underprivileged uh, projects in, in, in different ways. You mentioned that uh, you plan, and Allah obviously plans better, and you had this idea of creating an organization to allow you to, to discuss matters which you felt was important. Uh, but now you said it has been overtaken by the social wing. <coughs> Um, is that humbling, uh, one first thing? And secondly, is that, is that a, a state of reality in South Africa in terms of being social is actually part of being Muslim in terms of giving back to the community? It's interesting that you should mention that because I don't often talk about this uh, very openly. I discuss it with my best friend who runs the organization with me. Sometimes I see these really major events happening in South Africa and they're featuring this scholar and that scholar and I'm like thinking, been there, done that, uh, already have the t-shirt and you kind of like miss it. You know, you're like, I wish I could do a conference again or my mom would be like, we should do something again because we used to have like these really big events at the City Hall with Zain Bika and Ahmed Bukhat there and Dawood wants to be Ali and there'd be 1,800 people and now what we're doing is so far removed from that mm. it is humbling in a sense i think but then whenever i go i always go back towards my best friend who runs the organization with me and i tell her oh, i'm feeling down i'm thinking about this and i'm thinking about that and then she'll tell me but what we're doing has so much of value you know um educating someone there's so much of value attached to it you can't even put you can't even put a price tag to that and um and the kinds of um the manner in which we, 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 we run our programs, the, the socioeconomic ones, it's sort of very out of the box. So our bursary students have a very close relationship with us. So I consider them to be like my sons, the boys and the girls to be my daughters. We in constant contact with them. Um, a lot of them are adopted by donors. So um, the people that are sponsoring them actually know them and maintain a constant relationship with them. Um, they come to all our events to volunteer and to help out. So um, I think I'm sort of digressing now. <laughs> but um, no, yeah, but I, I think there's so much of fulfillment mm -hmm. in, in, in this whole um, other side of LMSA that it's very seldom now that you think about 
the big conferences and the mega events mm. and that kind of thing. Um, as for being social and um, and being Muslim, I think that's incumbent incumbent upon all of us. That is something which the Quran has spoken about over and over again, uh, which the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam spoke about and acted out in his behavior um, as well. And I think that um, uh, one area where we've tried um, to be different um, is to. Uh, take the whole idea of being humanitarian and extend it not only to the Muslim community, but also outside of the Muslim community. And I'm not saying that other organizations don't do this. Many of them do. But uh, this is something that we trying to work very, very hard on. It's challenging because most of the funding that comes to an NGO is the car and uh which 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 you need to use on 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 muslims um but there's a mindset change that's happening out there and currently we have about four to five bursary students who are not muslim so that's something we very very proud of alhamdulillah excellent you mentioned people not being that receptive to international scholars but obviously from a cost perspective is it is it only because of a cost perspective because but here's the thing. Yes. They were not receptive to them in the days that we used to bring them down. And now? We would get phone calls and we would get called Salafis and mm. we would get hate mail. Mm. And now the same scholars come down and nobody says anything hmm. because people are so familiar with them. Interesting. So there's this journalist from Radio Islam who always says, you guys were way ahead of your time. <laughs> <laughs> because we used to bring them down and yeah. it would be so controversial. I remember a brother calling Azra and I on a Friday and screaming at us, what is wrong with you people why are you bringing these salafis down and he was referring to scholars who subsequently in recent time have come to south africa and no one batted an eyelid mm. everyone was like wow you know the mm. scholar is here and so in those days mm. i mean it seems when i say those days it seems very mm. far away but it was 2006 2007 and um it was a very contentious environment to work within in durban and the scholars that used to come used to always uh like tell azra and i like you women and you you're dealing with all of this but um alhamdulillah it was a hard it was a hard path to walk and i think we made it easier mm. for people in a sense mm. um we at accidental muslims we're having our leadership conference in cape town at the baxter and we only have local uh, speakers and, and, and you know, leaders and I know you mentioned to me uh, via WhatsApp I think it was a couple of days ago that you had you, you had admiration for that are you, are you doing similar at your conference at, at Muslim today do you think that's the way to go raising the platform for only for only local scholars uh, I wouldn't say only local scholars I would say that yes we can in- invite an international scholar from time to time um, where the need arises or where the opportunity arises but I do think it's very very important to give our local uh, contributors not just the ulama um, even people who are contributing in other in other spheres of society it's important to give them platforms to share those contributions and for them to be sources of inspiration to other people we, we tend to sort of have this uh, hero worship mentality when it comes to what lies outside of South Africa but we have so many heroes and heroines within our own community and they deserve to be showcased yeah. and they deserve to be given platforms whereby they could show what they've contributed towards society and whereby they could inspire others and um, I'd like to give an example of Radio Bauer Hendricks who you guys are hosting at your, your, your event and who we've hosted about four or five times I mean as far as I'm concerned she's still an undiscovered diamond in South Africa mm. 
Uh, most people don't even know about her outside of Cape Town. And, and, and I don't see why not. What she's done is amazing to memorize the Quran when you're nine years old, to start when you're four, to start grade eight when you're 10 years old, to matriculate at 15, to be able to just go on a podium, say, and just start talking from the bottom of your heart and to move people with every single word that you utter. That is so beautiful. But we don't know about her, and therefore she she probably doesn't get invited to the really major events. She's not showcased because people don't know about her. And I think that when Accidental Muslims or Ilm Essay or some other organization creates these platforms, that's how people get to know about these speakers. And inshallah, their profile will be built, and they'll be given an opportunity to inspire thousands more than just the South African community. You're the director of Ilm. Or is that not the correct terminology? I am the director, but I try not to use the word. The director of Ilum was physically printing name tags today. Okay, okay. So. But the leader has to lead from the front, I suppose. But my question is more about what sort of leadership model do you, you guys employ at Ilum SA? And what, do you have a staff? What's your staff complement? Is it just you and your basement? <laughs> no. We have an administrator, yeah. a Samaya. And we have um, a beautiful brother who's um, involved in logistics. Mm-hmm. We have lots of beautiful stories at Ilm, and mm-hmm. even his story is a really beautiful story. Uh, he used to be a muadzin at a musalla here in Durban, where um, he was not given the kind of um, respect that I think he deserved. And uh, he had a huge family uh, to feed and to support. And he was not able to do that on the kind of income that he was earning. And so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it possible for us to employ him, we employed him full time. And so he's part of our staff complement. So during the day, he takes care of logistics. So we have a vehicle, um, which he, he he's uh, the only one that's authorized to drive that particular vehicle. And then in the afternoons, he goes to the rural madaris that we assist. He delivers textbooks, food. He spends time interacting with the children who attend these madaris. So essentially, there's um, uh, three full-time staff. So it's myself, the administrator, and uh, the other brother, Sheikh Saeed, that I just mentioned now, and uh, my co-trustee, Azra. Um, she's my best friend. She's not involved on a day-to-day basis. Uh, she She's a trustee, uh, and, and the shura um, is made with her, between mm-hmm. myself and her. So essentially, it's an organization where there's very little head-banging, uh, there aren't too many cooks to spoil the broth. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have a hundred meetings. We don't have uh, uh, lots of discussion with different inputs. That may be the wrong leadership model to mm-hmm. use. Um, there's no membership as such. This is, but this is who we are, um, and we have a lot of volunteers mm-hmm. that come in for events. In your, is it now just over ten years now existing? Yes, event. Alhamdulillah. We founded in June 2006, mm. and Sheikh Ismail yeah. launched from Cape Town, yeah. was one of our first speakers. Alhamdulillah. Another beautiful gem in South Africa. Alhamdulillah. I know a lot of people hesitant to say the word successes, because ultimately we will find out on the day of judgment if uh, we are truly successful. But from your objectives when you started NMSA, what story perhaps has been the most moving uh, or, or, or event or interaction, if I can put it that way? There's so many stories, uh, but I'll share one. One night, I was with my mother and my son, and we drove into a petrol station. And there was a young man uh, who was a petrol attendant, and he was assisting us. And his name was Professor. And uh, he spoke English very beautifully and very eloquently. So I asked him why he wasn't studying. Because I'm in the NGO sector, 
this, these are usual conversations that we have uh, with, with cashiers, with, with, with anybody and everybody. So I said, you know, you speak so well. Why aren't you studying? Why are you at a petrol station? Um, do you study? Are you studying? So he said, no, ma'am, I want to study welding, but I don't have the finances to do it. So I jotted my number on a piece of paper and I gave it to him. And I said, call me and we can talk about it. And he never called me and I never heard from him until a few months later, um, I received um, a very, uh, um, like an excited, uh, excitedly framed SMS, not from him, but from another young man called Tommy saying, uh, uh, professor gave me your number and I need to talk to you. And I'm thinking, which professor is he talking about? Like, what is he talking about? And then he said, I'm talking about professor from the engine garage. And he said, you can help me. We, we interacted a bit via SMS and I had one of our staff members meet him. And it turned out that he had had an excellent uh, um, matric result. He had relocated from uh, Nongoma in Zululand to uh, Durban um, to fund his studies. So he was studying teaching through UNISA and he was unable to fund his studies through his salary as a petrol attendant. He was also living in a very rough informal settlement um, uh, in the area. So he contacted us and um, we met him and we asked a couple who we knew were unconventional if they would consider assisting him because remember he wasn't Muslim and I mentioned the Zakar issue. Mm. So they came to our office, they had a chat and they agreed that they would fund his studies. So uh, they began funding him. And, um, and then we decided, okay, so we've sorted out his, uh, his tuition fees and his textbooks. Let's take it a step further. Let's try to get him out of the, uh, the informal settlement. Mm. So there was a pastor uh, who offered him a space in his garden, uh, but it required that he put up a Wendy house. So we got another young woman from Johannesburg uh, to fund the erection of this Wendy house. And we moved him um, from, from the informal settlement into the Wendy house. And we assisted him in numerous other ways over the years. And alhamdulillah, he graduated in April this year. But last year, towards the end of the year, he um, he began working, uh, doing his practical experience at a private college in Pittsburgh. And this year, they employed him full time. Mm. So uh, that that is one of the stories that speaks to a lot of people because a he wasn't Muslim, um, and and we were so so happy that we were able to do that. And now when he talks, he'll say, Inshallah, and Allah willing, and I want to be part of all your program. And, um, and, um, and secondly, because obviously he graduated, and thirdly, because he's now working and he's earning an income of his own, uh, he's supporting his family and he's helping his sister study. That's one of numerous stories yeah, I can sure. tell you. Alhamdulillah. Allah bless the organization. I mean, these are stories which we at Accidentals, Muslim.com, we want to hear these stories. So I feel um, this is the stories that can inspire change. Right? And, and if you change your perspective sometimes, I think you can change the world. So firstly, congrats to you guys for, for enabling that change and making a difference to, to the gentleman's life. So we also want to add something. I just wanted to say something. What, what I've noticed that at, with, with, with running the NGO and being a Muslim and uh, following an Islamic ethos, Sometimes things seem like a mountain, like with Tommy. We didn't think it was doable because he wasn't Muslim. Where are we going to get the funds from? Mm. And then Allah brought this couple to the office, mm. right? There have been about five or six cases where a student comes to you in debt. They're owing the university, like we've had 50,000 rand, we've had a 60,000 rand debt. 
And they come to you and you think there's no way you're going to be able to assist the student. You, you're not going to be able to do it. How are you going to help him? And this debt is collecting interest. His results are withheld or, or her results are withheld. And they come to you at the beginning of the year saying, you know, I want to continue my studies, but I can't because I'm owing the university money from first year. And you think it's not doable. And then Allah just makes a plan. You send out a WhatsApp message. And I promise you, Brother Zahir, within five minutes, you'll have people pledging the, pledging the money and you'll clear their debt. And you call them into the office to tell them and they can't believe it. It, it. It's happened so many times. And it's happened also recently with, with a brother who's not Muslim um, from the Democratic Republic of Congo, studying mechanical engineering, producing excellent results, but in major debt. And I thought the community wouldn't be interested because he's not Muslim. And then we sent out the message. We show people the pictures of the kind of uh, setup his family is living in. It's like a one-bedroom with a family of six fathers working as a car guard, trying to make ends meet. And this young man is in bits, and the father's worried about him. You know, well, what's going to happen? My son can't go to school. And then people just band together, and they cover his fees. And he can't believe it, and he doesn't know that we can't believe it either. So Allah has... Humanity at his best, eh? Yes, definitely. That is one thing. I used to be very cynical because of all the controversies um, and the kinds of things I told you about where people will call you and give you a hard time about bringing this speaker down and that speaker down. By being involved in the socioeconomic side of things, I've realized that there is so much of goodness out there. There is so much of giving out there. And because we are a woman-led organization, a lot of our donors are women who give. Um, women who single-handedly adopt students in terms of their fees and women who encourage their husbands and, and mobilize other people to give as well. Wow. So it's been very, very heartening to see that. What's your definition of success? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala defines success for us in the Quran. Qad aflaha al-mu'minun. Definitely the believers have have succeeded and he goes on to mention the different uh, definitions of what success is and one of the medical doctors uh, that I interact with regularly once gave me um, a few sheets of paper I should share it with you guys where every single time that the word success is mentioned in the Quran is listed on, on these pieces of paper and it and it mentions what success is equated to in the Quran so I would say success is to pa- pass uh, the life of this dunya uh, to do the best that you can, to be the best Muslim that you can, to be in a constant state of self-reflection and self-analysis, to never stagnate in that regard, because no one is perfect. Allah has said, Mankind was created weak, and so nobody is perfect. We should always be analyzing ourselves, examining ourselves, trying to establish whether we are on the right path, constantly seeking the guidance of Allah, and attempting to pass the test that this life is. So I think essentially success equates to striving. You mentioned Allah is the best of planners. You mentioned now the Quran tells us literally what success is or defines success for us. What is your favorite Quranic ayah or verse? <gasps> I know uh, okay. a lot of our, 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 listen, uh, our guests always say unfair question. But is it one verse that has touched, uh, really moved you or, or some verse that you... A story. Yeah, or a story. Or it has conquer. to be one. If it's a group, go ahead. Uh, but just uh, uh, the point is, what verse or story or verses has impacted you? Okay, there's a story and there's a verse. Okay. Um, this is both of these are from my presentation at Muslima today. Okay. We can read mine. <laughs> okay, the verse is. Um, I stand to be corrected because I may have the order wrong, mm-hmm. but it's. Um, 
it may be that you dislike something, but it is good for you. Mm-hmm. And it may be that you like something, but it is bad for you. And Allah knows, but you do not know. I have seen this play itself out in my life and in the lives of others over and over and over again. I cannot emphasize how many times the essence of this ayah has manifested itself in my do, life. Do you know what surah? Actually, the verse is about jihad. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but but I, I take it as, as in a holistic sense, right? It's obviously saying to the believers that you may not sure. like fighting in the path of Allah, but yeah. Sure. That's the verse. I think it's in Surah Baqarah or Surah Al-Imran. I can check. Out. It's very popular. Just Google mm. it. Mm. Right? It's Asa an takrahu shay'a wa huwa khayrul lakum wa sa an tuhibbu somewhere along, right? Okay, don't quote me in Arabic. Please double check because I'm not a half yes. The story, I've been married three times and divorced three times, right? Um, the first divorce was the hardest one. Um, it happened when I was 20 years old and I thought that my life was falling apart. Um, it was before Eid al-Adha and we knew that the brother was going to be sending a talaq through and my mother and I were sitting in Lanasia, uh at my granny's house and we were, we were awaiting this, the issuing of this talaq which I didn't want and um, I was heartbroken I, I was absolutely, utterly devastated to the core and um, the uncle of the brother was an alim and he asked to see me and he lived in an area that was far away from my granny's house. And I remember my uncle took me to this house at night. Uh, it's dark. And my granny's sister was sitting in the car with us. And she had this long tasbih. And she was reading this dhikr uh, because she was trying to make me uh, reach a stage of acceptance. Or she was trying to um, invoke Allah's blessing so this guy would change his mind. Because I was so, so heartbroken. And we got to this house. And the uncle uh, spoke to me and he tried to comfort me and he tried to tell me that he didn't agree with what was going on. And as I was leaving, um, he told me the story of Um Salama radiallahu anha. And this story has always um, stayed with me and it's something I always turn to for comfort and it's something that I always try to share with others as well. So basically Um Salama uh, was married to a really amazing man, Abu Salama radiallahu anhu. He was really amazing, really handsome, um, had a wonderful character and they were deep, deeply in love with one another, but he passed away. And um, when he passed away, she was very devastated and she didn't know what she was going to do. And um, she kept lamenting the fact that she would never meet a man like Abu Salama. And then Rasulullah uh, taught her um, a dua which was Allahumma jinni fi musibati wa khlufni khayra minha and you proceed it with inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un so verily to Allah do we belong and to him do we return oh Allah re- reward me in my difficulty and grant me better than it and she kept on making this dua because he taught it to her sallallahu alayhi wa sallam but she would, um, she would keep on thinking like how is it possible like how would I ever find a man better than him until Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam proposed to her and she ended up marrying him and I always find that story very, very beautiful. Not that I want to get married, but the principle of the story. That there is always a reason why you're in a particular situation. And if you have faith and you have patience, then Allah will grant you better than what it is that you have lost. What advice would you give your younger self? <laughs> okay, my younger self. How young? 18, 20. I don't know. Pray a lot of istikhara. It, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, concept in Islam, which the Prophet ﷺ has taught us for a reason. And I don't think I did it enough when I was younger. Um, 
now that I've hit my 40s, I do it a lot. It really helps me. Also, the not so specifically Islamic advice to just, you know, go with the flow. Be less, be less hard on yourself. Be less hard on other people. Be more accepting of other people. Understand that no one is perfect. And just embrace the differences in other people. And embrace who you are. And always work to better yourself. I think that that is essentially what I would say to myself. I sell funky flasks. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay, I'll leave it to you then. <laughs> no, we don't have to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> it stood out, I must be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> I had to just bring that up there. Okay, uh, I'm a single mom, as I told you, bringing up a little boy who's about to embark on his high school career. Uh, he's extremely passionate about cricket, which is a very expensive hobby to have. And it's not just a hobby, it's a primary interest of his. He plays first team cricket, he opens the batting, and he's also a bowler. So uh, we basically uh, um, need to be as financially stable as possible. Uh, we don't receive any maintenance from his father. So I, uh, and the kind of salary that you earn from an NGO um, is not a very high level salary and, and nor do you want it to be a high level salary because you, you somehow feel that's unethical. Other people may not share that view, but that's my opinion. Um, so I try to supplement my income um, by, um, by writing, but now the doors within the mainstream media have essentially closed because most um, media entities have shoestring budgets when it comes to freelancers. Um, so I write speeches for high school uh, uh, um, kids. I try to help them articulate themselves better. Um, I try to help them write essays. It's been humbling. I wouldn't, I won't deny that. Um, but like I said, it's all about embracing your situation. This is my situation and I need to supplement my income. So whatever skills Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given me, I will use those skills um, uh, for that end. And then the flasks uh, happen to come along. Uh, they're these hot and cold flasks. So they're really nifty. If you put something hot in it, it will stay hot for 18 hours. If you put something cold in it, it will stay icy cold for a day. And um, initially... It was like, what am I doing selling flasks? You know, I have like, a, 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 I have a master's in history and I'm selling flasks, right? Mm -hmm. And then, but over time, I've really got, grown to enjoy it because um, uh, I offer engraving. So I offer laser engraving. So you can have your name and you can have your name in Arabic and you can have all sorts of sayings. And I found that whatever uh, uh, skills or qualities I had, which helped me as a journalist, have helped me on the business side of things as well. Mm -hmm. So I was obsessive compulsive about writing. So I'll be obsessive compulsive about getting an order right, making sure the Arabic spelling is right, <clears throat> making sure the customer is satisfied. So it's just something that I've been doing um, as a business on the side to supplement my income. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> okay. I mean, I see it as another way of serving us. <laughs> You earn something from it, but again, your meticulous attention to detail and like you were a journalist and you're implementing it in your, your business. So I, 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 I'm interested to see this funky flask. I hope it's around you somewhere. But thanks for that. What advice would you give a single mom or dad with a 13 year old boy? Prioritize your child. You are not going to get these years back. Prioritize it. Do not make the mistake of rushing into another marriage unless you are absolutely certain that the partner that you are intending to choose for yourself gels with your child. 
It's absolutely crucial. Pay attention to your child's emotional well-being. Uh, pay attention. Just pay attention to your child. Don't be so uh, um, obsessed with getting all the other areas. Single parenting is challenging, right? There's finances that you have to worry about. If you are looking to get married again, which I'm not, I I did get married again uh, after my uh, after after I was married to my son's father. I married someone else, and it was only then that I experienced this epiphany of just how important this child is to me. Um, he's my responsibility, he's my gift, he's my amana from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And being in another marriage to the person that is not the child, the, the father or the mother of your child can be very challenging. So I think that's the first thing I would say. Before you could, if you have a child, before you consider uh, getting married again, consider the needs of your child and consider um, the personalities and the characters of your child and this person and whether they gel or not. And then if you've already uh, um, reached the stage within yourself where you've established what you're going to do, um, to just pay attention to your child and not get so caught up in the challenges of single parenting that you don't emotionally and spiritually and physically nourish your child because it can happen. Um, it takes a while to get it right. Mm. And don't be so hard on yourself either. So we, we, we're actually busy studying Oprah's interviewing strategies. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to ask you a question. But okay. you don't have to answer it if it's a bit okay. too deep. Is there anything that you wish people knew about you more? I'm a very public person. I'm out there. I, I'm very open. I suffer from depression. I'm open about it, which is something that people tend to hide. Most people don't want to say that they've been divorced three times. I share it very openly. Sometimes people are like, why do you do that? Why do you, why do you even have to tell people that? I believe that that was part of my identity in, in building me. So I don't know. I think people know so open, a lot about me. Mm. I'm not a very private person at all. I think sometimes when they look at my Facebook feed, they think like my life is just like in order and I'm so... You know, they think that my life is easier than what it really is. Even though I project all my challenges out there, they think, no, I don't want to answer this question. I don't know what to answer. It's, it's too complex. Okay, we'll add this to the book, please. We add this uh, book. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, maybe it's an easy question. Yeah. What are you most grateful for right now? Right now, in this minute, I'm grateful for the... F I'm not going to give a cliched answer. I'm supposed to say I'm grateful for the fact that I have Iman and I was born in a Muslim house okay. and all of that. Okay. I'm grateful for my son. Alhamdulillah. My son has been my ease in my difficulty. Uh, we have a very, very beautiful relationship. And I consider him to be uh, the silver lining in my, my cloud. And he's the reason that I get up every day. Um, I look forward to coming... To I look forward to picking him up from school. And he's a really beautiful child. He's very affable. Pick him up from school and and taking him for his cricket and watching his cricket matches and watching him achieve and 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 uh, giving him pep talks when he's when he's not achieving to let him know that it's okay to tell him just how much I love just watching him play sport. Extremely grateful for the fact that I have uh, a son and that I have um, a roof over my head. A lot of single mothers and a lot of women that are divorced and widowed. Uh, don't have the luxury of that. My last question, I, always, I like asking this question. Maybe a bit morbid. So today's your last day. Mm -hmm. You're going to die. Mm -hmm. But you only have enough energy to say a few words. What would you say? Besides your kalima. <laughs> Besides my kalima. Yeah, Where we... am I dying and who's around me? <laughs> 
Sergei, where am I dying and who is around me? I think we we don't have Leave a choice. You. <laughs> no? It's up to you. It's up to you. It's your your story. It's your story. I don't know. I would. I don't know. People generally ask for forgiveness when they're dying, don't they? I think the last thing I would say is life is too short. Just try to be the best possible person that you could be. But all I only know is I don't know what the dying person is seeing at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And that would largely dictate what it is that you're going to see, isn't it? Appreciate you um, inviting us oh, or what? accepting our invite. Mm-hmm. I learned so much about you and about your, your, your NGO. And I wish you and Muslima today is happening in the next couple of days. So all the best. Afwan, Jazakallah again for hosting me. And I pray that Allah grants you much, much barakah in your project and that he makes it a source of bringing many, many people closer to him Amen. and Shalom. more passionate about being ethical people. Sure. Alaikum. Shukran for listening. We hope we added value to your life and that you enjoyed this podcast. We hope our guest has helped you live your life with purpose. Don't forget to forward all suggestions and feedback to info at accidentalmuslims.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.